Hello, and thank you for tuning in. I'm Scott Seltz, publisher of Engineering News Record, and welcome to this discussion about the North Carolina Department of Transportation's US-74 City Simulator Resiliency Study, brought to you by Atkins. The 200-mile US-74 corridor in North Carolina is facing an increasing amount of climate change challenges, including large storms, hurricanes, and heat waves. The North Carolina Department of Transportation needed to assess its vulnerabilities for continued growth, future weather challenges, and the resulting impact on travel-related carbon footprint to help make the infrastructure more resilient to impending climate change disruption. Joining me to talk about this project is Matt Lawfer, Assistant State Hydraulics Engineer for North Carolina Department of Transportation, and Stephen Bourne, Project Director and Resiliency Modeler at Atkins. Matthew Lawfer has been with the North Carolina Department of Transportation for 23 years, and he manages the hydraulic design of North Carolina and chairs the department's Research, Environment, and Hydraulics Subcommittee. Since Hurricane Florence in 2019, Matt has been a part of the NCDOT Natural Hazards Resilience Team and is a member of the Transportation Research Board Committee on Hydrology, Hydraulics, and Stormwater. Based in Atlanta, Stephen Bourne has over 20 years' experience as a climate scientist, water resources engineer, and software developer, the last 17 of which had been at Atkins. He's a lead developer of City Simulator, a resilience modeling tool he uses to assess the vulnerabilities of communities to climate change. Welcome, Matt and Steve. Let's dive into some questions about this project. How did this project come about and why? Yeah, so Scott, thanks. Um, this project came about due to some very large hurricanes that impacted North Carolina in 2016 and, and 2018. Those were Matthew and, and Florence. And the last one, Florence, shut down uh, I-95, which is an interstate that uh, connects the entire eastern seaboard for about a week, as well as I-40. And that was underwater for about, uh, about a week as well. In fact, Wilmington was totally cut off from any available dry land pathway or, or, or roadway system. So that was a pretty big concern. So the Department of Transportation realized, you know, after that event that we needed to look at resilience um, of, our, of our network to flooding and other vulnerabilities, hazard vulnerabilities. And so with that, as, as well as in partnership with Atkins and our federal highway partners, we moved to do a, a vulnerability assessment. So the um, along the 74 corridor, which runs from like Wilmington to Charlotte, US 74. Um, and it's, it's partnership as well, because uh, this, this project was funded through a grant, an infra grant on the US 74 corridor. And it was really a look at the vulnerability of, of the 74 corridor to natural hazards. So um, we partnered with Atkins on the um, city simulator to basically do a, a climate assessment um, on, on natural hazards to basically understand where the vulnerabilities are and then how to best um, optimize the system uh, and, and protect it against um, uh, floods and, and heat and, and sea level rise um, so that we can plan better for the future and reduce those disruptions and, um, and then also um, you know, make travel or travel safe um, and connect peoples and products more efficiently. So on that note, Matt, were there specific issues that you were trying to solve? Yes, yeah, specifically, we're trying to understand, you know, how do we best understand where our vulnerabilities are? And then from a systems approach, understand, you know, which ones we should fix first. Um, and then, you know, from an asset management standpoint, 
you know, our pipes, our bridges, our culverts, um, you know, which ones are most vulnerable and um, which ones should we fix first? So that's kind of the, you know, premise for, for this assessment. So I'd like to hear from both of your perspectives that what were the challenges on tackling this project? Steve, you want to go on that one? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, you know, from a from the perspective of, of what the questions we were trying to answer, the biggest challenge is that you want to understand how, how climate change is going to impact, in this case, a, a transportation corridor um, in the future. And the, the issue with that is that um, the transportation corridor itself is going to change, just like climate change. Um, so at any point, um, you know, along uh, between now, when we start our, our simulations and mid-century when we end them, what we really need to be looking at is how, what will climate be like at that point and how will it be impacting weather and how will the transportation corridor be as well and really sort of peer into the future and understand um, what, what is the interplay between the two um, and, and what are the likely uh, threats that are going to be seen. Um, to do that, we, we use a um, tool that we've developed at Atkins called City Simulator. And with that, we, we built a digital twin of the corridor. Um, so, you know, in great detail. So all the buildings, all of the roads, um, the, uh, the rivers that are there, the streams, um, um, the, the coastal environment, all of that is present in this digital twin. And, and we actually simulate it growing into the future. And we also simulate climate change related hazards like floods and storms and heat waves and so on happening to the corridor um, as that growth is occurring. Um, you know, another, another challenge we really had to tackle here was harnessing the data. Uh, we, we really try to get these sort of planning level studies done uh, fairly quickly, um, you know, in a year's time frame, And that doesn't really allow us to um, rebuild models of all the rivers, for example. That, that's a multi-year effort worth millions of dollars in engineering fees. So what we actually do is we harness existing models that um, um, entities like NCDOT and, and other state entities in North Carolina put millions of dollars into building. Uh, we harness all of those models and integrate them together. So that's another challenge. Um, and then finally, and I always like to kind of and, you know, a list of challenges like this with people. Um, stakeholder collaboration is, is pr probably the biggest challenge um, because, you know, you don't want to do one of these studies without including the people um, uh, from state level agencies, federal level, local level, and regional level um, who are going to benefit from learning this information. And more importantly, who can provide us feedback along the way and, uh, you know, kind of steer the study so that they get the information they need to take action when the study results are, are finalized. Right. And Matt, what, what specific challenges did, did you experience when you were tackling this project? Yeah, the, the uh, and Steve mentioned some of them, definitely. It's like the data, getting the data together. And, you know, we're on a fast track to um, come up with, um, you know, answers. And so I think the and, and some of these models, you know, they, and, and this city simulator model definitely takes a lot of data, right? Which is good because it gives us better answers. But then also um, getting that from our systems. The good thing about North Carolina, we're data rich. So we've got um, a lot of good flood models. We've got a lot of good partnerships with our, 
our cabinet agencies that, that, that look at flooding. Um, uh, we've, we've invested in asset management and our pipe network system. So we had a lot of data available, but then bringing that all to the table um, and, and, you know, getting it incorporated into the model and then just the, the, the QA, QC. I think the other challenge is to, you know, since it is a model, um, it, it's not perfect. So we want to ground truth those, the, you know, the results of the model with what we're actually seeing in the field. So, you know, having um, event-driven information and coordinating with the stakeholders um, is another part of that challenge. And again, I think it's also just like Steve mentioned, it's, it's actually um, bringing those people to the table and getting that input to make sure that, you know, the results you're presenting um, are accurate and, and, and um, providing information that, that can really benefit in, in the future. So, Steve, what was the geographical footprint of this project? Okay, so the, the corridor that we analyzed, it, it stretched from Charlotte, North Carolina, to Wilmington on the coast. It's about 190 miles long. And we did a buffer out from the US 74 highway 10 miles in each direction. Um, that gave us a total of about 1.1 million people that we were simulating uh, who were residents of the corridor. Uh, 473,000 buildings in the corridor, 6,500 miles of road, and about 4,200 what we call water crossing assets, which are bridges, culverts, and drain pipes. Um, it covers about three ecoregions, uh, EPA ecoregions, from the mountainous region on the west side of the corridor to the Atlantic coastal plain. Um, and weather changes quite a lot uh, along those three regions. Um, so it was quite a challenge to um, capture all of those different microclimates within the simulation. Yeah, but that begs the question, what were some of the financial and planning implications of the study for NCDOT? Uh, yeah, okay, I can take that one. From financial and, and, and planning implications perspective, um, our simulation that we did, it actually looked at each of the 4,200 bridges, culverts, and pipes and simulated them decaying over time and then requiring maintenance and capital improvement um, over the 40-year simulation that we did. So we got a very detailed depiction of what needed to be spent on, on the corridor um, in order to keep it in, in good maintenance over time. Um, we were also able to you know, experiment with what if we added more money that was focused on making things more resilient um, how much uh, return on investment could we get for that um, over the course of the the, uh, the simulation? Yes, and, and just to add to that, you know, the the um, financial model that's in here will we're doing this as a pilot, so we'll really understand better, you know, how the financial uh, implications of what we see in the model represent or compare with how we're currently operating the system. So. I think one of the things we've learned um, right away is, is that, you know, there's some benefit to be had by looking at those, those locations that have the greatest disruptions and then applying, you know, um, uh, uh, resilience adaptation measures, mitigation measures to those locations so that, that we can optimize our expenditures to, to basically gain, you know, the maximum resilience. Um, and so, that's where I think this tool is really going to help the department optimize, you know, expenditures to really improve um, resilience. Um, from the planning side of things, I think it's, it, it really helps. Um, 
I think traditionally in transportation, we look at corridors or we don't look at a corridor, we look at a specific project or a section of a corridor, like a bridge or maybe five miles of highway, that type of thing. But now with this model, we're kind of looking on the systems approach and where we may not, may not be economically feasible to say, raise a road out of the 500 year floodplain. So, but the road does need, you know, improvements in capacity, you know, for the other, you know, 300 and, you know, 60 days of the year or so. So, so what we can do though is look when we do have those extreme events, if we're looking at the systems approach, which which City Simulator allows us to do, we may look at oh well this route over here is running on the ridge, and if we just improve this bridge over here, we'll have that connectivity. So we as a department can look at how to maintain transportation more efficiently and effectively, you know, and on a larger scale and more, and so we're not you know, caught with trying to figure out during those extreme events, really how to route traffic or just have total disruption. So I think those are some of the, you know, benefits from both financial and planning that we're, we're going to be gaining from, from this model. Yeah. And if, if I could add to that, um, from the planning perspective, a unique effort we did within this study was to look at plans, uh, you know, forward-looking plans going many years out from the different uh, uh, governmental agencies that oversee the corridor. So NCDOT has a plan, their state transportation improvement plan, but the municipal planning organizations in the corridor from Charlotte and Wilmington, they also have plans. Um, and you know, uh, even local entities have plans as well, all focused on the same transportation system. And so for us to do our um, simulation of future plans, uh, what we had to do was integrate all of those master plans together for the corridor um, and simulate all of those, uh, uh, all of those projects happening um, to really understand, you know, what's currently planned for the corridor, how resilient is it going to be? So that was definitely an innovation from, from the planning perspective. Were there any surprises in the study? From the flooding perspective, there there weren't actually that many surprises. You know, we took our flood models. Um, I think you know, with with uh, recent hurricane experience, uh, hurricanes Matthew and Florence in the corridor, um, they've seen a lot of what damage can be done by uh, large hurricanes, and and so it gave us really good sort of calibration knowledge to compare what our model was saying to what's actually been experienced by many people on the team. Um, and, and, you know, very often our, our flood models were getting it almost exactly right uh, as to where, what the extent of the flooding would be, how deep it would be, how much disruption it would, it would cause. Um, from, a, from a, you know, kind of a surprises perspective, um, and we always find these when we do, do these studies, like climate change assessment is really a, um, you, you really have to look at your own individual situation as a community. Um, or, you know, from a corridor perspective to understand what climate change is really going to do in your area. Um, so from a surprise perspective, we found um, uh, the rail system was, was um, resilient, quite resilient, actually. We didn't predict a whole lot of problems with it moving over the next 40 years um, in, in that corridor. Um, and then um, also the, the extent of heat impacts, I think that sort of was a surprise to the whole team. Um, because, you know, as, as max temperatures um, increase in the future, I think our statistic was that currently it's about 50 days per year of temperatures above 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, by 2060, it's more like 150 days per year. 
um, as that occurs, it's going to have, you know, an impact on, um, on the roads themselves and, you know, um, uh, cause unsafe situations in some cases, a, a phenomenon called flushing. Um, uh, the extent to which that's going to cause disruption uh, was, was quite extensive, uh, more so than we thought. You know, we thought flooding was really the main problem, but heat problems um, could potentially become, you know, as equivalently disruptive to flooding in the future. Interesting. Matt, what were your surprises? Yeah, to build on what Steve said, I think the, the heat impacts really, you know, opened up our eyes just, you know, with, with flushing concerns, um, you know, with that pavement just getting hot, especially asphalt, right? And then the aggregate um, just uh, coming up to the top. And I think that those concerns, um, you know, will, will really help drive some, dis, you know, discussion in the future as we plan pavement and, you know, our look at our maintenance cycle is that as well. The other surprise for me, I think, was sea level rise um, and its impl implications. Um, I think we, we did uh, something here where we just looked at you know, the encroachment of not necessarily inundation from sea level rise and, and nuisance flooding, but just the encroachment on the sub base. And so, you know, the the network, the roads can significantly increased as far as impacts when you looked at, you know, sea, lo sea level rise implications. And so I think the department itself will need to look um, more strongly at mitigation and adaptation measures, um, especially in the um, uh, you know, the, the coastal regions around Wilmington and things. So that was a pretty big surprise. I think the other, I don't know if it's a surprise, but eye-opening was just, you know, we looked at disadvantaged populations and, and networks there. And I think there's, there's improvements that could be made um, just to serve those populations as well, just getting them to critical facilities and things like that. So we learned a lot of things about you know, what those routes are and then what assets we need to look at to um, basically uh, improve to support their needs as well. So that was, that was a, a really good um, uh, uh, item that we, we got more exposure to. Um, so I think those are, the, those are the, some of the, the interesting things that came out of the study. That's great. Steve, can resiliency modeling be used beyond transportation and in other construction sectors? Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, City Simulator, the tool we use for this study, is in what we call an instance of the Atkins simulation framework, um, which is you know the underlying code that that simulates people moving around an area and using it and being disrupted by climate change. Um, um, other instances of that framework include Seaport Simulator. So with that tool, we actually um, simulate cargo moving through ports um, and disruptions to the global supply chain um, from climate change. We did a study in Canada where we looked at um, containers coming from you know, Asian ports like Hong Kong uh, over the Pacific through the port of Prince Rupert up in Canada and then across the Canadian uh, uh, prairie down to uh, cities like Chicago. Right, so it's a, it's a long trip this, uh, these containers are making. And along the way, they're impacted by tropical storms in the Pacific, um, heavy winds at the port, heavy rain at the port, atmospheric rivers, um, extreme temperatures, both hot and cold along the uh, prairies. Um, you know, multiple different factors that, that, that are gonna impact cargo as it goes. Um, so it's the same simulating code underneath, um, but a totally different application. 
Hmm. Um, we also have um, installation simulator underway. Um, this is for military applications. Um, looking at things like you know readiness centers um, for the Air Force and the National Guard. Um, looking at existing military facilities and you know how resilient are they? Um, they you know obviously their operations are a lot different than uh, DOT operations. And so, you know, capturing that in a simulation is a challenge, but it's, it's something that we're taking on. Um, you know, it's probably the most exotic applications we've done so far are things like um, simultaneous simulation of epidemics, um, you know, which was definitely uh, pushed forward by COVID, um, uh, but simultaneous epidemic plus a natural disaster like a hurricane. You know, think about shelters in that case where you have to socially distance within your shelters. Um, it, it causes uh, unforeseen, unprecedented problems. Um, and so um, using this type of simulation, we can really sort of peer into uh, um, what the impacts of, of the future will bring and how to, how to best manage them and plan for them. Fascinating. I have one final question for both of you. If there was one key point about the resiliency study that you would like to leave with our listeners, what would that be? Um, I'll go ahead. This is Steve. Um, uh, you know, I think the, the point that I'd like to leave is uh, there are solutions out there, um, you know, very often. And I, I don't know, I've been doing this for 20 years. Um, it's been uh, there, there's some understanding of what climate change is, but it's very global very regional, like nobody really understands, okay, if I'm the, the city planner, uh, the, the uh, uh, public works director, which assets do I have to work on to make sure that we're resilient to climate change? Um, the point I want to leave is that there are solutions out there that are answering those kind of questions. Um, and, you know, it, it, it behooves um, all organizations out there to kind of look into uh, what the solutions are. Matt? Yeah, and I would agree with Steve. I think one, the one key point that I would like to leave with the listeners is just that thinking about resiliency is really important. And what it does is it, it drives forward thinking. It allows us to make better decisions for the future. And one really important factor that's been evident with just participating in the study is the collaboration. Um, it brings a lot of different multidisciplines together that are they tend to work in silos, right, to do their, their perspective. Um, work on delivering transportation, but resiliency really brings that team together to discuss what's important and then, and then how we move forward, you know, to, to basically make a transportation system that is safe um, and is resilient for the future. This is a great conversation, Matt and Stephen, and thank you for sharing your experience and insights on this project. I want to thank our listeners for joining us today, as well as our product sponsor, Atkins. We hope you found this podcast to be a good investment of your time. Have a great day.